on this edition of Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective. It's no joke. The Phillies start off the season with a three-game sweep, and we are talking all Phils in a brief little April 1st version of Flying High, the Philly fan perspective. But first, send request, play us in. You have no idea how high I can fly. Welcome to Flying High, the Philly fans perspective presented by Longshot Media. Wow, what a first weekend for the Phillies, Justin. We're going to get into it, but just one word to describe how you're feeling right now about our fightings. Pete, this isn't even a baseball city. People don't even like baseball here. You know that's what I mean? A lie. Uh, it, that's, a, that's a lie. That's a lie. I'm over the moon right now. You know, I, uh, I got up this I said, morning. Justin, I said one word, man. I'm not, I didn't ask for a story. I said I, I one word. I can't give Get you one word. Get it into one word. I can't, ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. ecstatic. I mean, I can't put that into one word. It's too difficult. I'm ecstatic. Um, I would say exuberant, but I feel like that's too close. So I'm just going to say chills because that's what I get when I watch this team play. And especially in the heat of things when something huge happens like Bryce Harper dropping a bomb, which we'll touch on later. Chills is what I'm feeling right now with the Phillies. Before we get into Philly sports, um, anybody from back home for me in the Southern Lehigh area, we lost a legend in the sports community, Coach Pinto, also known as Charlie Pinto, or I guess it would go the other way. Uh, He passed away last week. I guess it was Thursday. And for anybody who did not go to Southern Lehigh and doesn't know who Coach Pinto is, uh, sports is just bigger than sports, whether it's Philly sports or regular um, everyday local sports. And Coach Pinto was somebody who, for me, was on the basketball bench when I played on the basketball team and served as um, a mentor in, in life and comparing how basketball relates to life. And most importantly, he kept me sane through all of my struggles whenever I would um, I was a I was a mental wreck as a three point shooter and kind of streaky, one would say. So he was always just trying to work on my form, but more so just work on building the mental confidence in myself. So I, I stayed in touch with him uh, throughout past high school and, and didn't get to see him as much as I would like to. But luckily, this past December, I went home and caught him at a basketball game. And um, that was the last time I saw him. But he was a mentor in, in sports and in life and somebody that um, I don't know if your local sports community had someone like this, but it was, it was crazy. He was someone that everybody had a personal connection with him. He was a mentor to so many people as he was to me. And it wasn't a shallow on the surface type of mentorship. He really cared and loved about every person that he interacted with and tried to help out in life. Yeah, no, I definitely can relate to that. I, you know, our, our swimming program in Ridley was, um, pretty big, a pretty big community. And we were lucky to have, um, and he's still with us. He, he coach Slen shout out, but, uh, you know, and he's still with us and he's a kind of a mentor to a lot of, of swimmers and that program owes, um, it's roots to him. So yeah, I can totally relate, uh, to, to having that mentor type person. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. That's a rough one, man. And it's nice that you, it's nice that you were able to have that and have that relationship and that connection with, with someone that meant that much to you. Oh, without a doubt. And just one story to tell before we move on to Philly sports is, um, 
so I saw him this past December at a uh, Southern Lehigh local high school basketball game, and it was crazy. After the game, he's talking to a kid who is on uh, the basketball team currently. I think he was a junior, but he was basically me. He was a kid who played basketball, who was decent at basketball, but his main sport is baseball. And there's Coach Pino bringing two generations of our type of individual together, meeting, connecting, and uh, it was just crazy because I know he's doing the exact same thing for that young man that he did for me, and we're just all lucky to have him um, in our lives and having blessed us with his presence. So thanks, Coach Pinto, for always being a great mentor, and I uh, will all miss you in the Southern Lehigh community. And now, moving on to Philly sports, uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, we're doing a new segment again today. Uh, this is not the Philly Five. We'll get back to that next episode today. We're doing a, a new segment called Flashback, and we're just going to play it right now. Long drive, could it be? It is out of here. Grand slam home run, Chase Utley. Welcome to the show, Mr. Utley. It is 6 nothing Philly. His first big league hit, a grand slam. And wow. only his third at bat. So we flash back to April 24th, 2003. If you were alive or in the area at that time watching the game, I was, what, eight years old or something watching that? And that's a, that's a sound bite that I will never, ever forget. Harry the K was legendary at endless sound bites that you won't forget but this was one a young man named Chase Utley who I had seen play for the Scranton Wilkes-Bear triple uh, a team now in the big leagues this was the first guy who I ever saw as a rookie where I knew who he was and my god did he come out with a bang reminds you of somebody else uh, that just uh, kind of came out with a bang doesn't that more than one guy I feel like at the, it just does. joined the it, Phillies man it does and this would be a perfect segue into Bryce Harper, but right now we're going to talk about someone who started off the season with a bang. First pitch, was it? I believe the first pitch of the first at bat of the Phillies 2019 season. We predicted it, Justin. We predicted this. Look, I'm not. We're not going to toot our horns too much, but like we we said this. Like we said, lead off with Kutch. He's a he's an ideal lead off man. And I was really happy, not just from a personal standpoint, that I actually got something right, but um, just just because I thought it was the smart lineup decision to have him lead off. He's a smart hitter. He is a professional hitter. And, you know, he has that power that we were talking about. That's why we liked him there. And and you've seen it. You saw it right there. And I'm in the car driving home. I was going to pick up Panera on the way home because I was like, I'm not cooking tonight. It's baseball opening day. We're just going to kick back, relax. And... Um, that, and it happened in the car, and I was just like losing my mind. It was that was so awesome, and I was like, I I, I just started texting people. I was like, this is going to be fun. I was like, everybody buckle up right now because this is going to be fun. And just the way it went out, that was absolutely demolished. That was a no doubt all the way. First swing, classic catch, demolished baseball, and <laughs> welcome to 2019. Am I right? I mean, what a way to start it off. I mean, it's just, ah, man, uh, this is going to be a very emotional podcast for me. I'm going to be like a little like schoolboy, like just sitting here, you know, giddy because this is just everything we're talking about tonight is positive. I have nothing negative to talk about. I literally, I, I will 
like minor things, like very minor things. That's but that's we're not going too negative at all tonight. Man, it wouldn't be flying high if we didn't get a little bit nitpicky with some of the little things. But Kutch all weekend was really uh, he was you saw how valuable he's going to be to this team. And I think that answered a lot of questions in three games, whether we got an older washed up version of McCutcheon or if we got the version of McCutcheon who came over, had one bad year with uh, the Giants and the Yankees, and he's still MVP material or at least all-star material, I would say. Too uh, too early to jump to the conclusion, but two big home runs. Uh, I think last night was the second one. It was that kind of restart of the lineup where we went through once Kutch comes up and boom, we're right back in the game on Sunday night baseball. Yeah. He hasn't given you any indication to think that he's not going to be uh, an impact, a high impact player on this team. I mean, I, it just, he's just another cog in this highly impressive machine that the Phillies have going on right now, at least that we, what we've seen through three games and we'll talk about the lineup going through this, but he is the start of what makes for a very um, threatening and very imposing lineup. And I think that, I mean, this weekend went beyond what I think you and our, like our expectations were, you know what I mean? Like, did, did I, did we think that they were going to sweep the Braves? Heck no. I did not think that they were going to sweep the Braves. Did I, was I hoping that we were going to obviously win the series? Yes, but to, for them to come out and do what they did this weekend and for ev- almost literally almost everybody to have an impact in some way is incredible. I mean, it's it's awesome for us to be sitting here talking excitement over Phillies baseball for the first after the time. First weekend. Yeah. Right. After the first weekend. That's this city is on fire right now. On fire. And I think that I think that it was the best case scenario in our heads. We had this, I know in our article as well, we had this vision in our head of a lineup that there's nobody that you can get guarantee as an out and they're just going to be hitting home run after home run and generating runs. And while it wasn't just a nonstop hit parade, they had those moments where you rack them up, rack them up, rack them up, boom, Reese Hoskins grand slam, you know, rack up the walks last night. They walk in a run, and then you see old school baseball where Raul Muto goes off to right field and sack fly, and everybody goes nuts for that. Well, I think you what you saw this weekend was how pitchers are going to have to be very, very careful. They're going to be very smart, and you can you can see easily how if you get to a pitcher with this lineup, it can start to unravel very quickly. Guys get on base. Guys start hitting start hitting gappers, start to hit home runs, because every guy is a threat to hit a home run. You literally can't put anybody on base. You know what I mean? And listen, guys are going to strike out. We, we know this. Guys are going to strike out. It's baseball. That's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to probably talk a lot about this, like they're the greatest team ever, but that's just because we're excited. But really, though, really, though, you can't, if you're a pitcher, there's, and even the guys are, like Arietta was talking about it too. Um, I forget who, Segura or, or, or Harper, one of the, those two was talking about, they were like, or I'm sorry, Adam Morgan and Arietta were talking to the dugout and they were like, I know, we'll get to Adam Morgan in a second. <laughs> but they were like, dude, there's no hole in this lineup. And they're 100% correct. You, you, It's pick your poison. Yeah, and even Jake Arietta himself last night, 
Another flashback to Brett Myers in the NLDS against uh, CC Sabathia back in 2008. Arietta's fouling it off, fouling it off, fouling it off. And who thinks in the third game of the season you're going to have a standing ovation in a crowd that it wasn't a packed house uh, last night. I guess the weather uh, kept people out of the ballpark, but a half to three-quarter full stadium giving a pitcher a standing ovation as he fouls it off, fouls it off, fouls it off on a 3-2 count on the third game of the season. It was, it's, it's, it's electric. It was such a weird game, too, because it was a total slog through the first, like, three innings. It was it was like, what was it, 9 o'clock, and they were at, like, the bottom of the fourth? And it was so it was a total, total, like, crap fest through the, the, the first. I mean, Arietta was at, like, Dude, he 40 was at pitches. 50 pitches. Yeah. He was at 50 yeah. pitches through two innings and then just turned it on. He's out there throwing wiffle balls, that guy. I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll, do, we'll get to him in a little bit, but I mean, man, that was great. Anyway, back to the outline. Yeah, yeah it was just, <laughs> it was awesome to see how the fans got into a pitcher at bat. That proves that you literally don't have a hole in the lineup when the pitcher's fouling it off and then lines one to center field. That's the only way they got him out. Uh, most people would think you want to start talking about the big prize, Bryce Harper, the green shoes. you love it, and we'll get to it. But opening up, I think it's awesome to start out with our dark horse, who we kind of thought would be lurking in the shadows, uh, ready to rake up the pitches that uh, pitchers retired to facing the Philly Five. So they had to – wait, is it the Philly Five? Is that what yeah, I, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's what we coined okay, it. Yeah. yeah, the Philly Five. Just have to remember and, you know, copyright that so nobody steals it. Um, the Philly Five. So I was actually surprised that Gabe decided to put Michael in the eighth spot, but it seems to be working out mighty fine. I would consider him the MVP of the weekend. I mean, I know Harper hit two absolute bombs, but I think for depth purposes and just really solidifying the lineup where you thought there might be a hole, Franco looks hungry to prove all of the naysayers wrong. I mean, he had about as good of a weekend as you could hope to have for a player who, you know, they call these guys the survivors of the rebuild, right? Like Hernandez, Franco. That was crazy to see that. Yeah. Dude, he's hitting 444. He has seven RBIs. He has two home runs. He has an an OPS of 1694. (laughs) What? Like that, like I three games, like I get it and everything, but like, listen, that's dis- that's disgusting. I mean, he is balling right now, and I lo- and, I just, and he only had two strikeouts, right? And I just, I love for me, I'm very happy. I feel vindicated because you, I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm seeing so many of the beats and so many of these so-called experts going now. You know what? I'm out on Michael Franco. I'm done on Michael Franco. You know what? Small sample size. I don't care. I think that role is perfect for him. I do. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna really, really, really excel in that eight spot because like we said, there's the pressure's off. He can concentrate on flipping the lineup. And 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 again, like the pitcher's got no choice. Like now the, every pitcher in the league saw what what went on this weekend. So, you know, you're not dancing around Mike Alfranco. Um it's just awesome to see. It's awesome. I mean, I feel really good for him. I feel like he's vindicated in some way because I've always liked him. He was going to be replaced by Manny Machado if we got Manny Machado. I'm really glad that he wasn't. You know, um, I think everything works out for a reason. And I'm, I'm just happy that I'm really happy the production we're getting out of him. And I'm sure that it's going to curtail 
to uh, some degree as as things tend to do in a base in a full baseball season. But I have no reason to not like what I'm seeing right now out of Mike Hell. No, absolutely nothing but promise there. And then you got your man jogging out to right field on opening day, bowing down to a standing ovation, and what's on his feet but the Philly fanatic cleats. I mean, he if anything, he really knows how to play a crowd. You know, there's a lot of salt going on in Washington right now. And number one, I love that. Number two, uh, it's number two. I love that. Uh, you know, number I, three, I, I love that. I just I eat, I'll eat that up all day long. And listen, I don't care if some of it's for sh- some of its showmanship. I personally don't get that feeling like I think like, did he come here for three hundred thirty million dollars? Yes. But Bryce chose Philadelphia like he chose uh, you know, he chose to come here and I think he is finally, I read this somewhere earlier and I can't remember, or I heard it somewhere, but I, I have to echo this. He, I think he's finally in, in a market that, that echoes or mirrors his personality and his intensity. Like you're not going to get that in Washington. There like, I just heard earlier that Washington for opening day is off it, it, it their or their first day this weekend was bring your dog to the park day. What? Like that, Love they, dogs, they're, they're but yeah, they're begging, they're begging people to come to the to the park. So, I think, I just think that you know this is um, this is the perfect place for him, and I think he likes, he loves being here. He has a handshake with everybody on the team, dude. Like, yeah, tell and him- I think we'll touch more on Harper in a little bit. Uh, clearly, this team is having fun, and we'll also touch on that more. I'm um, in a little bit, but the man right after Harper, I mean, Harper comes in, he's producing, he's got three hits, a double, two homers, two RBIs, and he's drawn four walks already. Um, one intentional walk, but the man who's really producing right now is Reese Hoskins, who is, he, he must've caught Bryce Harper's keen eye because five walks on the weekend is uh, pretty incredible. I mean, a few of them were just wild pitching out of Atlanta and that's a whole nother thing, but that grand slam, man. Reese Hoskins bombs a grand slam after the Bryce Harper intentional walk. And that that just proves exactly how this lineup is going to work. That is a microcosm of this lineup. He crushed that ball, dude. He jumped all over it. And uh, I think initially we were, we were you know, I, at least I was scratching my head and I was asking you, I was like, why did he walk in there? And I, I, I thought about it a little bit more. And I, I think Snicker was trying to get the right on righty matchup, obviously, you know, rather than righty versus lefty. But um, yeah, it's just it's such a tough position to be in because like you think and you're, you're like, oh, I'm going to walk Harper to get to Hoskins. And it's like, really? How you know, and then you see how that worked out for him. But you know, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, do I do I think that he would have liked to have that back? I don't know. He might have done. He might have done it. He might have done it anyway, just to play the numbers. But you just see how this lineup can just kill you. It it really can. So I was, I think, I love it for Reese. He's going to have a great season as well. And then rounding out the Philly five, we had uh, Real Muto. Liked what he did at the plate. I mean, he had a home run, four RBIs, two walks, three hits. You really he looked he looks like a tank too. I just like how he's built like a pure athlete. But the thing that caught my eye and I'm sure everybody else's eye the most was when he gunned out Alvi's trying to steal. I mean, shoo. 
Yeah, that man, was uh, a cannon. That pop time is intense. I think they said it was something like 1.3 seconds or something along those lines. I, it's, it's. I mean, I've seen so many different ones. One said 188, one said 15 something. But then they, last night on ESPN, they said his pop time was 188, I believe. And then they said the okay. MLB average was 195. That's what the graphic read. But then A-Rod said that the MLB average was like 2.3. So I don't know the facts on that exactly. I just know that he absolutely gunned him. And the pop time was incredible. The way he prepared his body was incredible. You see his feet shift as soon as he sees the, the runner take off. He receives the ball and just shoo. You know, and I used to play catcher, and I honestly just – that was not that was not something I was ever really good at. And, obviously, and I didn't have to do it a lot. But, man, I just – just to – like you said, like plant your feet – Get that ball into the into your bare hand and and get it on target in that amount of time is is wow. We thought we thought Alfaro was impressive last year, you know, and and I think I think you see him do that. Two things from Real Muto for me. He he had one pass ball the entire weekend, and I think that that was just a miscommunication between him and Arietta because Arietta's pitches were all over the place. So I almost don't blame Real Muto for that. Also, he doesn't have he that's his first game with Arietta, but he he blocked every single ball that came his way. Um, and he calls a nice game. And like you said, yeah, like I like the way that he's built to like the cut of his jib. He is uh, and he's just a, he's just a modicum of consistency up there. Like you you feel he, he knocked he knocked in a dinger. Um, was that was that day one? Was that game one or two? That was game two. That was, that game was the two. one that I was following on my phone. And he had another. Um, he had another RBI, I believe. And yeah, it was uh, uh, last night. He had a RBI um, sack fly to right field. He he smoked it, and then uh, Segura tagged from third. So, fun fact: um, the triumvirate, triumvirate, triumvirate. I just say trio. That's an easier word. The trio of Harper, Hoskins, and Romuto are collectively at a fourteen seventy two OPS. Like, that's. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that there. I'm just going to leave that there because that's, just period. that's mic drop. That's disgusting. Like these man, this is so, this is, I'm a fanboy right now. And I don't even care this because this is just so much fun. Uh, Romuto's hitting 333. He has four RBIs. He has an on-base percentage of 417 and OPS of 1083. Uh, so, so I mean, right now it's just, you look at the stats and you can't really judge them too hard because it's been right. three games, but it's right. most, I think the thing that makes me most excited is the eye test that they, it's absolutely living up to all the hype and you can notice something special just by looking at the field. And this team right now feels like something special and it's so hard to contain our excitement and realize that it is only three games in, in a long, 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 long season. So there is, it's, it's interesting how we're going to go about analyzing the Phillies because it's a little bit different than the Sixers. They both have lengthy schedules, so not every game is a crucial, crucial game. But I think baseball is more about analyzing the trends and how everything is going over a week, how the team is trending, how every player is trending, where basketball, I don't know, I guess you have bigger games where when they play the Celtics, you can judge that one game where man, this guy's not performing every time they play the Celtics. This is not good. Sure, he can light it up against all the terrible teams, but he gets stifled by the Celtics where in such a lengthy season, you just have to look at the trends and how they're 
how they're keeping up with a long season. So it's going to be exciting to see how all of these players keep it going. And then if they can keep it somewhat consistent, there's it's just impossible that they continue the exact same type of success in 10-run ball games and just this kind of production is not uh, sustainable for uh, 162 games. But we're getting excited about it, and I love it. Uh, it's awesome, man. And real quickly, I just want to read you a, a, a piece real quick. Um, so here we go. <clears throat> the roar of the crowd was thunderous. The crack of the bat reverberated throughout the packed house at Citizens Bank Park, and the nearly 44,000 in attendance leapt to their feet. A synchronized cacophony channeling the release of nearly eight years of frustration and unfulfilled promises. It was loud, and it was beautiful to behold. Baseball is back, and so are the Philadelphia Phillies. Ladies and gentlemen, that was not Bob Nightingale. That was not any beat writer. That was not Ruben Frank. That was not, what's the guy's name from NBC Sports who does, who covers them uh, all the time? Jim Salisbury? Yes, that was not Jim Salisbury. That was not Corey Seidman from Post Game Live. That was Flying High and Section 215's own Justin. Putting it out there. Baseball is back and so are the Phillies. That was his description of Bryce Harper's home run on that first, that first day. And man, whew, that is a vivid and accurate description of what the ballpark looked like and sounded like. You know, man, uh, first off, thank you. Uh, but I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there last uh, night. Before you say that, before you say this, uh, make sure you go to Section 215 and read the full article. If that did not sell you, I don't know what will. Anyways, Justin, back to what you were saying. Uh, yeah, please go and read it and, and uh, leave me a comment on Facebook if you want. But um, yeah, um, I, I'm sitting there last night and I'm thinking, you know, th- after everything this weekend, and this is when the game was well in hand, I'm like, I, I got to get something out because... This, this feeling that I have right now, I haven't felt this in in so long. This this feeling of pride in my city and in my baseball team, in just just feeling so happy. Um, I had to get something out, and it just it, it that home run, you know, and not to spoil the article, but that home run truly, I think, meant more to this city and to the fans of this team than than just a run on the score sheet. It truly was more than a run. Um, that signaled like the beginning of a new era. That that was that was the lighting of a beacon. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings guy. Like you like the beacons of Gondor, right? That was the lighting of a beacon. That signaled to the rest of baseball that the Phillies are back and they're back in a big way. Man, I, I, I just got some chills listening to you talk about that, to be honest, because I have you talking, and in my head, I'm just envisioning that first home run again, and you're absolutely right. That that statement that baseball is back, that swing is literally a visual that baseball is back. It's the $330 million that we invested in one person to bring, I mean, you just see the way his jersey sold, all the hype surrounding him. It's it's built up, but the home run is one thing. You see that he is back. He is exactly what we thought he was 
He is who we thought he was. He can hit freaking <laughs> home runs. But more than that, you see a guy who's loving where he's at. You have a team that looks like a bunch of 12-year-olds enjoying themselves out there, celebrating, acting a fool and whatnot. And exactly. Waving their hands just as Justin waved to me. And it's not artificial. There's no way that this is artificial. You no, can I sniff don't out can when be. a team is faking it. This team is having just so much fun. And even on the play... Um, Last night, I don't know if you were watching at this point where uh, it was a fly ball to right center field and nobody called it off really and Herrera came in and snagged it. Just the way Harper like had a smile on his face when he picked him up and Odubel gives him a big hug. That's what you love to see. Odubel and I don't know. I, no, I'm you with look you. At Harper, you look at Harper and you look at Hoskins and all the big name players that came in and you almost think of the survivors of the rebuild as feeling a step below these guys, but they're right on the same level when you watch the way they're celebrating after the game ends, during the game. Every time Harper hits a home run, him and Franco have that thing where they... It's the handshake, like you said. I forget exactly how it goes, but nobody feels left out on this team. It's one team, and that is what it takes to win a championship. You see it with the Eagles. I've seen it on teams that I've played on and more importantly on teams that I've played against. It's the teams that are all one united that win the championships and Harper is the guy who's bringing them all together. I guess I don't know if they were, it's, it's, it's tough because it's a different team from last year completely aside from three. So yeah, I don't, I don't know how it compares to last year, but it just has a different feeling. I don't know if it's one guy. I don't know if it's the five guys who came in, but Somehow they're all enjoying each other and really cohesively getting along. Look, at least it seems that way on the surface. I mean, do, do Scott Kingery, does Scott Kingery feel any type of way? Does Nick Williams or Aaron Altair feel any type of way? I, you know, I think uh, if anybody, I think Nick Williams probably is, is, you know, having to adjust to that closer role as Gabe Kapler kind of, kind of titled it earlier. But at the end of the day, I really don't care what, Altair and Nick Williams feel. I think Scott Kingery has a future here. And so, and we're willing to wait on Scott Kingery. Those other two guys, listen, enjoy being on this team. That's kind of where I'm at and do your job when you're called upon. You had the chance to be a starter. You, you're not a starter. So uh, if, if you're not on board, get on board. That's kind of how I feel about it. This, this team is, these guys are having fun. They want to have fun. They, they, and I just think you have, that's the only way to get through a season that's 162 games long when you have to play with uh, 25 other dudes for six months. I mean, you got, you better start having fun. So I just, it's nice to see them doing it early on. Yeah. I think you're right. I think, and a big part of that reason is Harper. He brings that intensity. He brings he's he, he wants to do those outfield, that outfield goofiness with the, you know, the basket, uh, the basketball, the, the basketball slam at the end of the game. I just love it, man. I, I, that's camaraderie. I love it. I, I'd love nothing. I just, I eat that stuff up. So. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Harper came in and it's evident that he loves this city and another player who put out a piece on the players tribune. That was just, if you're a Philly fan, you're smiling from ear to ear as you read this piece. And it's Aaron Nola. He's a kid from Baton Rouge in the South who never thought that he would love the city. And he writes about how over the years of being in Philly, uh, he just, it, it's home to him. When he's back home in Baton Rouge, he's thinking about what he's going to eat when he gets back to Philly. And he loves coming to the city and coming to the ballpark feels like home. 
And that's prior to this year with all these new players and all the fans. It's going to get back to that 08 level. And we have an ace. We have an absolute ace. I think the greatest thing is that after the Atlanta game, that opening day game where Nola was uh, pitching, he started off the season. I actually wrote a piece on 215 about him. And at first I was going to get nitpicky, but the more I looked at it and the more I realized he had two innings that weren't perfect. And aside from that, he was disgusting. The movement on his changeup was filthy. The tail on his two seam was, oh my God, it paralyzed the center. Uh, uh, what's in Criarte? What I, I don't know. His curveball drops completely off the table. Uh, it's just, it's, and, and the way that he, when he has his command, because there were two innings where he didn't have his command, he walked five batters, which was more than any last season. So that was a little bit of a concern, but I don't think we need to be concerned because you saw the moments when he had control of his pitches. He had complete command and he was painting the corners like he just owned it. I mean, four seams that were just zoom bullets right on the outside corner or the two seam that starts on a guy's hip. Guy flinches out of the way and it comes right back onto the corner. That's that's where the backwards K's come from. His just disgusting command and ability to get inside the, the hitter's head. Well, and just think about it. That was Aaron Nola on a so-so day. You know what I mean? Like that's that's Aaron Nola not at his best. And he two hits. Two hits. Like, come on. I mean, and let me add another layer to that. Our Rick Kranitz is on the staff. At, at for Atlanta. So, I mean, you got a guy who worked with this staff for two plus years. He knows these guys. So obviously that's going to add another dimension to it. And, you know, I'm sure that they planned for that, but like still Kranitz, Kranitz is going to be able to, to give that information. I mean, that's, that's hot. That's valuable information about pitcher tendencies, whether or not they're tipping their pitches, you know, that's, you can't, you have to take that into consideration a little bit, but and, and if you do take that into consideration, that makes it even more impressive because the only reason he struggled in the two innings was his command issues. That was the sole source of his struggles. So if the, if the players know what's coming, Nola was basically like, screw you, I'm going to sit you down whether you know what's coming or not because you can't, you can't handle me. And that's that. And I love, love, love watching when he goes one, two, three, mowing guys down I think he had like two or three innings like that. And when he gets into his groove, it makes, I mean, as a pitcher, I like watching good pitching. I don't know how America feels about that in, in a world that doesn't exactly get excited by defense in baseball, nonetheless, but good pitching and watching Aaron Nola just tear apart the Braves lineup. Oh, that's, that's almost better than a Bryce Harper home run. If you ask me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't worry about Aaron Nola. I stopped worrying about Aaron Nola after last year. So was I was I a little concerned that his – I can't even say concern. I mean, I wanted to win the first game, obviously, and you always want to win when your ace is on the mound, but it's game one too. So it's like, yeah, maybe he's going to be a little rusty, maybe, but at the end of the day, they got the win, and you still come out of that feeling like pretty good about how – how he did on a so-so day. And like you said, walking five guys, which is something he didn't do at all last year. So I don't worry about Aaron Nola. I feel great about him and he's going to be in another Cy Young race this year. It's going to be a heck of a race. Dude, no doubt. You just see it in his, in his posture and his, I guess kind of the rhythm he gets into once he's locked in as a former pitcher, I can relate to knowing that feeling of when the ball 
it just goes where you want it to go and you can't really explain why it's doing that, but it's like it's on a string. You just want to keep throwing it, throwing it, throwing it, painting those corners, and you're making the other guys look silly. And for me, uh, I always blew up in the playoffs, so that's where I uh, hope Aaron Nola separates from me. But when he's proven that he can play the best of the best and just sit him down and make him look like fools, which is awesome. Other guys tossing wiffle balls last night. We saw Jake Arrieta. His ball moves like you like you said. It's like a wiffle ball. It's disgusting. We have two pitchers who make me want to throw up in joy because it's so gross how their balls move, their baseballs move. Um, but <laughs> six innings pitched, three hits, one run, one earned run. You see that stat line, you're thinking, man, that was a solid outing. And then you see the control issues that Arietta had, had throughout uh, the night, six walks, one hit by pitch. A lot of those came early. I mean, like I said, he had... Uh, 50 pitches after the second inning. And then I think it was in the fourth inning, he was at like 70. So he just locked down and got into the zone. And we saw that Jake Arrieta that, I mean, when he struck out Josh Donaldson on a changeup and Donaldson lost the bat only because he was so fooled and ahead of the pitch, that was awesome. And then ESPN made sure to say that, oh, that wasn't done on purpose. But like, it was so clear that Donaldson was just, so far out in front of it, and he tried He tried everything to stop so much as letting go of the bat, and that was awesome. Arietta held the bat and basically said, I just owned you. Here's your bat back, Joshy. So that was, a, that was an eye test game uh, for me for Arietta. Like that, The eye test wasn't kind at times, and, and you're, you're sitting there as his pitch count is getting racked up. You're sitting there thinking, oh, man, Jake, this isn't what I was hoping for. But it, honestly, it, it wasn't as bad as it seemed at times. So the couple things like, you know, as a pitcher, the cold, um, the cold was it got really cold last night. Like it wasn't coming out of work at like three o'clock in the afternoon. You're thinking, all right, this is going to be a nice night for a baseball game. And the temperature just dropped. So obviously that's going to affect. Um, and those guys aren't wearing any layers. So, I mean, they were dressed, uh, Jake, especially Jake was just wearing his regular uniform. So, um, but on it, dude, I was so impressed by that's that might be the most movement I've seen him have. And I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but I'll tell you what, if if he does that on a night where he is on like, man, he's going to be even harder to hit. I mean, so if you ask me if I'm worried about Arietta, like it's so hard because was that was that I think the thing <clears throat> what I'm thinking is that. We saw two versions of Arietta in one game, and you're concerned that you're going to get that first version more often than that second version, and he's going to be streaky and not lock in enough, whereas you know Nola's going to lock in and be that ace Nola who's mowing guys down more often than a guy walking five batters. But then I come back to the fact that that I know Jake's a gamer. I know he's healthy now, and I know that you know I think he's still figuring it out to a degree, and I think to see the movement we saw last night was, was, I mean, listen, it's, it's hard. Legitimately, he was throwing wiffle balls. Like his pitch, his pitches were dancing across the plate. Like I've never seen that before. Maybe I need to watch more baseball, but like, I've never seen movement like that before. That was, that was really cool to watch. And so for me, it's like the professional in Arietta came out towards the end of the game. And whereas I think you were waiting for that last, last year during time at times during games. And, he would, you know, he'd end up taking an exit in like the fifth or sixth inning. And that didn't happen last night. Credit to Gabe Kapler. Kapler kept him in through 100 pitches. And I think that was the right move because Jake 
got out of those tough spots. And this is not, it's not like this is an easy lineup either. Like these, the Braves have hitters. So, you know, he didn't get tattooed. I'll give it to him. He had far more balls than a far higher ratio of, of balls to strikes than I would prefer. But again, first outing, I'll take it. I'll take the three hits. I'll take the one earned run, honestly. And I'll take, he threw a hundred pitches. I really liked what the gamesmanship I saw out of Arietta last night. Yeah, I think I would have been more concerned if it went the other way where he was locked down and then got really sloppy towards the end and had to come out because of the control issues. Right. But this was, I mean, I was dozing in and out after the third inning, so or after like the fourth inning, but to me it felt like first two innings was his sloppy time and then he locked down. I, I didn't see inning six, so I don't know if he had another um, tough, tough inning or not, but... Uh, the third and the fourth, he was mowing guys down with, with relative ease. It was, again, like, I, I just think he got better. He was able to get himself out of jams. He um, he got better, I think, as the night went on, more composed. And again, he the more, I think he's he's a guy who's going to play with JT Realmuto a lot. I, I honestly think JT is going to play a lot. I don't think you're going to see this platoon at catcher. So I think that's actually what that's what uh, Gabe said on ESPN last night is Realmuto is one of those guys who's going to go every night. So you're they're going to get that rapport together. Um, and so I, I, I'm not worried. Like, honestly, this is the best case scenario, I think for Arietta and, and Nola to come out and have so-so games and get wins and, and get those under their belt. I really think that that is the best case scenario. Um, you know, I think they had better outings than, than our guy Pavetta. Yeah. And I, this was the game where I was working tirelessly at my golf tournament. So I was only following the score on my phone and, uh, Twitter showed me, uh, Bryce Harper's home run. So in your article, you actually mention uh, everybody's going to know where they were and how they were high-fiving their friends and family. Uh, I watched it on Twitter and then my dad texted me and said, Harper hit a bomb. And then I looked at it and was like, yeah, dad, that was actually a bomb 465 or whatever, but 465 uh, feet. And then sorry to segue, but, and then my brother was at the game last night and like he said, the, the, the home run last night left like it, it did. It left the stadium, like height wise. Like it, it. I, I think I forget how tall the like Citizens Bank Park is, but that ball went up and out of the stadium and came back in. Like I, I initially on TV, I thought it was going to hit the third deck. Yeah, I. Me too. I mean, if you're in section four twenty three or whatever behind the plate, in the last row, you still would have had to look up at some point to see the ball before it came back down. It was a moonshot, say the least. But um. As impressive as that home run was, your analysis of Pavetta to me was the complete opposite, that it was a disappointment and um, everybody labeling him as a breakout star should really slow down on those claims. Well, and I'm not ready to give up on him yet because I think he's still such a young guy and, I, and certainly, um, certainly not what you wanted to see. Now, again, they win and the bullpen comes in and saves it. It's not like he, he allowed the game to blow open, but you know, you want him to go more than you need your starting pitcher to go more than four innings. You do not want to tax your bullpen with, you know, with your second guy in the rotation. You do not want to bring in your bullpen in the, in the fourth inning. You can't do that. Uh, I think we have the horses this year in the bullpen, but I really don't want you know, especially without Tommy Hunter right now, you really lack a, a strong middle reliever. You really lack a long reliever right now. So um, that's the, 
I, I wanted to see him go longer. He had eight hits. He had four earned runs. He, he, let, he gave up a homer. Uh, it's just, he only had four strikeouts too. The thing with him that from my analysis that I saw was that I liked his velo. Like his velocity was good. He's throwing smoke. He's throwing 94, 95. But then he tries to get cute. And, and he tries to dance around guys. And I don't know why, because I don't think that that's what he is. I think he's a smoke guy. Like, I think he has the stuff to blow it by guys and induce contact to, you know, to, to create outs. I, so I, you know, I just saw, I think I saw a little bit too much of that. I saw a little bit too much of trying to get cute, trying to dance around guys, trying to paint the corners and, I just don't think that's who he is. He he's he hasn't been in the league long enough to do that. And he's not Aaron Nola either. I, I I would like I would like to see Pavetta just go out there and be Rick Vaughn and just and just throw eliminators. You know what I mean? That's what I want. Still haven't seen that movie, so I don't get the reference, but I got, <laughs> oh, I gotta get to it. I gotta oh. get to it. Um so I guess is he dancing around guys in that he's trying to throw breaking balls and other stuff on the corners or is this he's trying to paint the corners with his fastball and he just doesn't have the command that you get when Nola or Arietta is on and he can't control it enough to be so picky. I think that's part of that's part of it. You know, I don't I don't have his pitch breakdown in front of me. Um, I wonder I know there's a website that does it, but I don't have like his pitch ratios. But I mean, honestly, when I, I paid attention to when he threw fastballs and I, he was throwing 95. So, I mean, and I don't think he has a tendency to leave him out of the plate. Like he did that a lot last year, but I think he's, he's, his velo is up this year. So, I mean, I'm almost okay with him going, you know what? Uh, like with Gabe, just tell him, go out and get him big boy. You know what I mean? Just go out and get him or, and Pavetta just standing up there and saying, you can't hit me. I think you need a guy in your lineup that can do that. I think you need a guy that's going to stand up there and go, hit me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I I think I'm going to need to see him throw a little more to, to really break it down. But if he's having control issues of any type, and maybe it's that he's missing his outside spots and leaving the ball over the plate, like you said. But um, something that could work for him is just, you know, Work the fastball, work the velocity, but focus on zones. Just split the strike zone into three zones and focus on hitting the outer third instead of trying to paint that corner. If you're trying to get a guy outside, just aim for the outer third so that you force a guy to hit a weak round ball to third base instead of trying to paint the corner on the outside and then whipping it back right down the middle for a home run or missing way outside. It's, you know, don't have to focus on the pinpoint accuracy. Just try and get it in the vicinity mostly keep the ball down. I don't know if he was missing up or anything, but if you're throwing 95 and you're leaving the ball up in the zone in a hittable position, it's the MLB in 2019. Players have adjusted. They can hit 95 mile an hour fastballs left over the plate. So I'll have to see more of Pavetta, but you know, I still have hope for him. Like I said, it's, it's early. And if he can fix those little iron out the kinks, see what happens. Uh, we'll see where that goes, but I'm going to have to see more out of him, more worried about when the rest of the guys come up, uh, see where they're going with the other two starters, whatever they do with that. Are they throwing Nola against the uh, Nats tomorrow? So no, know? it's Eflin tomorrow. And okay, then, I'm excited to see Eflin. Yeah, no, I, I like Eflin. I think Eflin's fine. I think both Eflin and Pavetta had really nice middle of the seasons last year. So, I just want to see that continue. And and again, it's not the end of the world that, that Pavetta had a bad first game. Um, 
that's baseball. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you don't get enough looks in spring training or and sometimes spring training needs to be longer for certain guys. So, you know, I, I'm absolutely 100% not worried yet. I'm, am I a little worried? Sure. I, if he comes out the next game and it's a lot of the same, all right, I'm going to kind of be like, uh, okay. But no, I, I, I'm going into tomorrow. And even though it's Scherzer, I'm, you know, all right, F1, let's, let's do the thing. The Nats had a horrible weekend, so I don't see why we can't take advantage of that, go in there. And we have all the momentum. It's so it, we just need to go in there and do what we've been doing. Harper will be jacked up. So no, let, let, let's, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see what F1 can do tomorrow. And then VV goes on Wednesday or Thursday. So obviously I'll yeah, be, he's the guy you're going to want to yeah, watch. I'll be, BV, see what. I'll be clenching a little bit for that game. Um, just kind of hoping he doesn't, you know, explode, but you know, I'm remaining optimistic. My friend, like I said, uh, no negativity here. I like it. I like it. So we'll go into the bullpen, uh, real quickly and try and remain optimistic there. Uh, they were okay. You know, when I saw Naris come in on opening day, I, I just wanted to hide under a desk and wait for it to end because it scares me watching him come into the game. And sure enough, he is getting rocked early. Yeah, and but then to his credit, he comes in and saves game two. And I thought, um, or was it, did he come in? No, who came in last night? Was it was it Naris last night that closed out? I think, yeah, Naris closed out so, last night's game. Yeah, he came in and he's always been a guy, I think, that, gets gets better with reps like as you saw last year he went down and, and and got better the more reps he got and so yeah not great the first game still was 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 okay because we we got the win and then last night came out and closed and was pretty good it, he, he, he was that slider was moving last night so um happy with what i saw from him robertson robertson kind of and again, I totally forgot this because Robertson didn't have a very long um, spring training. I think he only had like four appearances. So he's a guy that I think is still figuring it out too. He gave up a two-run shot on Saturday night, and I was kind of like, eh. Um, you know, but again, he's a pro. He's been in the league 10 years. He will figure it out. I thought, th I think the bullpen overall was good. Sir Anthony was, was good. Um, nobody came in and, and looked bad like you know no one came in and had a short leash and uh gave, Dude, gave, adam morgan got a win right no adam what adam well and here's the thing like adam adam morgan has a role now you know what i mean adam, adam morgan has a role all these guys have a role and i think that's super critical i think guys know when they're going to pitch when they're going to be used gabe is is communicating better and i think that is easing up some of these guys and, and adam morgan came in and looked pretty good last night because i had the same reaction as you did i was like uh here he, here he comes here's this guy but uh no i mean i would i need tommy hunter to get get healthy i don't know what this pork chop is doing i don't know why this dude can't stay healthy but i need him to come back and i think i'll feel better nishek i mean i'm a nishek guy i like nishek um and uh he, he's always yeah, he looked solid and he's up always on solid day. yeah he's always solid i feel like he's the, he's another guy who's a modicum of consistency he just comes in and that he's got that goofy cadence and is that as if you're you're a pitcher so like where do you get that cadence from like that is that that's one of the weirder ones i've seen man i, th I think especially in the mlb it's just weird where i wonder how guys got where they where they are by doing what they do because when you're in high school and Below that, usually coaches yell at you for doing something like that. 
whether it's pitching cadence or a wacky batting stance, you know, kids are trying to emulate the pros and do that open batting stance with a wagging bat over your head. And coaches are like, no, 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 no. You're going to stand straight and be a normal baseball player. But maybe, maybe it's the coaching when they were young. Maybe, I mean, I've seen so many different circumstances. I know that a lot of times a player that goes sidearm or submarine like Nishak is someone who struggled as an overhand pitcher. So they just say, okay, let's try you as a sidearmer uh, before we nix you as a pitcher. Um, so maybe he was a whacked out person with a strange head who couldn't be a normal pitcher. And then they said, you know what, go up there and do whatever you want. And maybe he dominated in that. I have no idea. I'll have to read up on. Uh, Isn't that more taxing on the elbow though? Uh, I would think I like know. I just I watch him pitch and I kind of cringe. I don't think so. I just I, yeah. I guess the way he's, that the, he's an interesting version. He's not your stereotypical submarine pitcher that's coming from underneath. He's like a weird T Rex kind of. Uh, I got a short arm. I'm just gonna yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. But he got it done and he continues to get it done. So um, until he gets rocked consistently, I'm just gonna let Nishak be Nishak. Uh, let Nish be Nish. Um, so are we officially are we officially lifting our hatred towards Adam Morgan or do we, do we need to see more out of him before we you know give him a stamp of flying high approval? I think we can give it uh, the good old Geneva Convention for a little bit until <laughs> until he gives us a reason not to. I don't see why we can't lift the embargo. You know. Oh, man. <laughs> are you a history teacher? So I don't see. I don't see why we can't. You know, just oh. come to a come to an agreement of sorts. <laughs> All right, so we had a little technical difficulty, but uh, Geneva Convention. I like it, Justin. I like it. Were, were you a history teacher? I'm not. My dad's sort of a history buff, so you know, he he, he always uh, he's very high on that stuff. But no, I mean, I don't see why we can't lift the embargo on uh, on Adam Morgan for a little bit and give him give him a little uh, BOD benefit of the doubt. You know. So yeah, we'll, we'll give him a shot. I mean, I still always see that one moment that we will not speak of, but uh, hopefully eventually that can be erased from our mind. Anyways, uh, overall on the weekend, the pitching really handled this Braves lineup well. I mean, you look at some of the names on this roster, you have, I guess, McCann's on the downward spiral at age 35, but you have a lot of really good young players like uh, Albies, Swanson. They just got Josh Donaldson. Of course, Acuna. Um Inciarte, how does he pronounce his Ender in- name? Ender Inciarte. Inciarte. Uh, obviously, like a, you've got Nick Markakis too. So they have a lot of really good players, and I mean, when you can hold Acuna to two hits on the weekend, and other than Freeman was the only one who basically was just letting the bat fly out and taking it the other way. But aside from that, they really contained this lineup very well. So off and on pitching, but I mean, it's a, it's a good sign when you can keep the uh last year's division champion from looking like anything close to that absolutely 100 agree and again they're missing fulton evich and and uh their other starter as well gaussman i believe so uh, you know they may look different when we see them in june and that's fine but uh i still think it was as good a performance as you could you could hope for um you know against the defending national league east champs yeah without a doubt without a doubt and then um, really not too much to, to touch on otherwise in the game, I guess. Uh, or we, we can look at Segura. I, we have a note here that we didn't see I much to, from yeah. Segura, but I, what I saw I also, out of Segura... Yeah, yeah, you go, go ahead. ahead no, first. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Segura, like, go ahead. What did you see out of him? Because I, I know he, he was kind of quiet compared to everybody else. 
He was quiet, but I saw a guy who's hustling every ounce. He's giving every ounce of energy that he has to every play. I mean, he reached base on error twice, I believe, and the one time uh, they threw it away, and he was, like, stumbling as he rounded first, but he made it to second, and the hustle on the uh, JT Real Muto uh, sack fly to tag and score on a – it was a quick line drive to right field, and it was a short line drive. So I didn't, I wasn't sure if they were going to score, but he was ready. He tugged up, and he hustled through. So I really like the energy that he's bringing. He's a scrappy player. He's He is what, once again, he is who he thought he was. I mean, he's, he's a scrappy hitter. You can see that he's going to get a lot of base hits, a lot of uh, just put the ball in play, run it out, and see what happens. And then in the field, he's solid. I mean – Turned a nice double play in the hole and really looked like a great uh, a great addition to this ball ball club. Yeah, I mean, I think um, like it wasn't an overly impressive weekend by him. Like by his standards, I think he had a couple of o for I think he was o for three in one of the games or o for four or something along those lines. So and and I think I remember people tweeting out like don't don't get used to that kind of thing. And even last night he didn't do a whole lot. But again, like. You can afford that in this lineup. You can afford to have one or two guys not doing much of anything if the other six guys are going to be, or seven guys, if you're Arietta, are going to be picking it up, you know? So, uh, and I think that's going to kind of, there's going to be weekends where Segura is, you know, three for three for four and uh, where other guys are kind of struggling. And so you just need each guy, you just need the, the other guys to pick each other up. And I have no doubt that they'll continue to do that. The one thing I did want to get your opinion on, because I know you're a pitcher is the Reese Hoskins incident, because I have thoughts on this and I kind of want to see what you think. I mean, the way that I saw it and I was going mostly off highlights because I was in and out at this point of the game. So I don't really know how the pitcher was throwing throughout the rest of that inning. When I see that pitch, it's just, it's so close to, I mean, if I'm blatantly hitting a batter and I, I might be a different type of pitcher than other pitchers who are trying to hit somebody, but when I'm trying to hit somebody, I make it known and I'm going for their back. Like I'm trying to hit them uh, square in the back. And maybe that's a respect thing where I'm not, I don't, I don't usually go for their head. I can think of one time that I thought I want to hit this guy in the head and he ducked out of the way pretty, pretty easily. But um, yeah, saying that out loud doesn't sound so good now, but Dude was bunting on a 3-0 pitch. Come on, man. I know what you're doing. I'm throwing at you. But uh, this looked more like a guy who just lost control. And did, did I hear that they had brushed up close to him before as well? That was the third time, basically, this weekend he got dusted. So was, was And that first, was the second time in that game. Was the first one the starting pitcher who did it, I think, right? Well, yeah. The, the first one was, was um, Kyle Wright. Yeah. Uh, so, so what I saw out of Kyle Wright, I saw a guy that had absolutely no control at points in that game. And it looked like he was just trying to throw as hard as he could. And his entire head was facing away as he was releasing a few times and he was letting it fly high. Um, no pun intended. No pun but intended. I, I, I don't know if this, this second pitcher also, it lo- I mean, it, to me, it looked like the same thing where he just released it high. It happened to be inside and it hit him. Um, See, I, I think I think Reese was ticked off because he was tired of people throwing at him, and he walked five times. He saw a lot of really bad pitches uh, over the weekend, but I don't think that there's any need to retaliate. I think it's best to be the uh, respectful, mature organization if it were something like that. Uh, Gabe said he's ticked off as well, so 
Maybe he saw something that I didn't, but I don't think there's any need to start anything right now with them. I think focus on keeping it positive, keep the energy going within the within the clubhouse between all the players and let everybody outside hate on us if, if they want to. I, I saw something where Reese said, uh, sorry, I celebrated, don't give up a home run. That's straight up how it is. If, if they did throw at him because he was dancing about Harper's home run, don't give up the home run. And if you're the Phillies, just keep hitting the home runs and keep doing the talk on the field, then you don't have to worry about anything off the field. Now, there comes a point where it's a respect factor, and if it gets to that point, then you have your guys back. You're going to throw at them as well. I'm going to need to see a little bit more out of the Braves before I decide to throw at one of their players. <clears throat> see, uh, I'm completely with you on that. I think that I, I'm, I'm completely with that. Like, I'm old school when it comes to baseball. Um I think if you're going to listen, celebrations happen. Like don't give up the home run. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I, I like a lot of things in baseball. Like I'm, I'm at, I'm for throwing at guys in with respect. Like, you know, with respect, Pro like you throwing said. at guys, no matter what. No, like I, I, I'm, I just like that about the game policing itself. Like I'm, I'm a fan of hockey policing itself. Like the guy, you know, not, not in terms of the old school enforcers, but like just guys taking matters in their own hands. Like if you cross check the other team's best player, you need to, you're expected to step up and take on the other, like a guy from the other team and, and defend yourself. If you are going to do a bat flip, if, or if you're going to excessively celebrate a home run, you may get thrown at, but at the, but if you're the pitcher, don't throw at a guy's head. That's where I draw the line. You don't throw at a guy's head. You don't throw behind a guy. You don't throw at his knees or his legs or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like you want, like you said, if you want to hit him in the butt, you hit him in the back, you hit him in the arm, even. You know what? Like there's certain, there's a certain way to go about it. And if you throw at a guy, you should expect that your team is going to get thrown at. So you have to take on that responsibility as well. So. I'm okay with guys with throwing at guys within reason. Like if there's an ex, like if there's an excessive bat flip that seems unnecessary, like and you want to you want to throw and send a message that you shut up our pitcher. Okay, fine. But also at the end of the day, it's it's hard because I'm also like, well, maybe don't give up that home run and the guy won't bat flip. There's all there's all there's so many. Like one of my favorite videos to search for on YouTube is like is is. Uh, like umpire ejections, like pitcher ejections, like I eat that stuff up. Like I just love watching it. So I'm very, very like interested in, in how those things happen in baseball because there's so many unwritten rules. But I think in this case, like, yeah, Reese was was probably kind of tired of getting dusted and you threw at his face. And to for that to happen to him again, like he doesn't want to get hit in the jaw again. So to answer the original question, I'm not actually, I watched it a bunch and I'm not really sure if it was, losing control or not he released the ball high so i i don't know it's not like he released it low and it just kind of like slipped off his fingers it, it, he released it high so to me i kind of think he was trying to send a message maybe he didn't maybe he was trying to aim it a little bit lower and just it kind of went there but listen a, the Braves, I, I will say as a pitcher Trying to go high and inside to a righty. If that's where he was looking to throw, I don't know where he was lined up. If you miss high inside, that's bad. But trying to hit that high inside uh, spot is daunting. And it, it takes guts for a pitcher to go for that. So I can see how he could lose control on that. I just wanted to touch on one thing you said. Um, I guess I was a high school pitcher. So 
my mind tells me that there are certain moments in the game where the pitcher's so ticked off or it's just so heated and you're so angry at a batter that you consider throwing at his head or throwing behind him. Um, I think that's where the maturity of being an MLB player needs to step in and realize this is not a good decision because when I look back at times where I wanted to throw at someone's head, even as a 17-year-old, 16-year-old pitcher, I knew this is going to cost me a lot more than it's worth. There's other ways to deal with this. I can count on my teammates to cover me or I can just go at this guy extra hard and focus more so I can sit his butt down and make him look bad that way. If you're thrown at a guy, ultimately you look bad in the end. But I love a good bench clearing brawl. So I'm, I'm all for it. I just There needs to be more substance to it. Um, if it continues throughout the season, I would love to see Braves Phil's going at it, see if you punches tossed uh, uh not not great for for the sport but it adds some excitement to see maybe not punches but just aggressive shoves into the <laughs> the uh screen behind home plane i love when i see guys go down and and get get really feisty and show that yeah baseball is not as physical but they're willing to beat the crap out of each other if it comes down to that can i add a uh, a real quick hot take yeah yeah i think that they should bring back the plate collision because oh, I'm, I'm actually, like, again, again, like I, I'm old school when it comes to baseball. I love the play collision. And I, I, it, it, I thought that it really sucked when they took that out of baseball. Um, and like, it's not like I want to see guys like hurtling towards each other at 25 miles an hour, um, you know, without pads on. I, it's dangerous, but at the end, it's also exciting. And uh, if you're going to block the plate, you, you get all, you better be prepared to <laughs> block the train when it's, when it's coming through the tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah, you look at it that way, and that's in this day and age especially, that's a tough one because I see it from the catcher's point of view where I guess it comes down to the fact that you are selling, you're willing to block the plate knowing that you can't fully pay attention to that runner because for me as a catcher, maybe I'm different than other people. I would focus on the ball and then probably get rocked, blindsided, and knocked over every single time. There's a special art to it as an MLB catcher where you're working both ways. You're multitasking. You know when the guy's coming. So it all depends. But I just think that's one where the catcher, even though they're wearing the gear, uh, they're in a really bad position. Um, but they set themselves up for that. So got to keep some physicality in the game. Well, don't know exactly how I stand on that. I'd have to look more into it. But I, th- I think I would. I, I like seeing a good plate collision. So it's one of those things. But the NFL calls you know, sacks when you touch a guy's shoelace now. So I don't think we're getting plate collisions back in major league baseball. At no, all. no, no, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. But, um, the only thing left that we would have had to touch on would be that bench. And I think we hit that earlier where Nick Williams and Kingery are really just going to have to, um, focus on enjoying this team, this moment and see where their careers go. Uh, before we go real quick, do you see any circumstance where Kingery goes down to the pigs to get more playing time? No, I don't actually know what his option status is. That's a guy. Does he? I don't even think he he has any. Because um, I know um, Altair is out of options, but Nick Williams has one more. Uh, you can't. So, and I know you can't risk Altair getting claimed on waivers. Um, so I, I'd, I'd have to look at what Kingery's. I'd be shocked if Kingery had an option when they sign him to that massive deal. Uh, so I think he's just kind of here to stay and it, you know, it's kind of a tough one because 
he's your second baseman of the future, but Cesar is is a staple in this lineup right now because of his speed and and because of the fact that he can he has he's in a good spot to hit in that seven hole. It's just going to be kind of something he's going to have to bide his time. Chase Utley had to bide his time at one point, waiting for who was he behind uh, Polanco? So um, before uh, Polanco's first stint, so. He's just going to have to bide his time. He's the second baseman of the future. But yeah, I do worry that he's not getting, this is that prime time where he's, he needs to be getting those, th- those reps. Uh, I don't know, man. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think if, if they have the option, it might be good to send him down just to get some actual playing time. But he could also thrive in this situation where he's a backup and then step into the role of a starter once that time comes. We'll see. Um, going to be an exciting week. We got the Nationals in Washington. We'll see. Uh, it's going to be awesome watching those bitter fans react as Harper just lights them up and this team lights them up. Um, there's a chance we go 162-0. and 0. Uh, It's still on the table. <laughs> it's still on the table, and I'm not giving up on that until it happens. Um, so we got the Nationals this week, and then um, over the weekend, a quick two- two-gamer against the Twins at home, and then the Nats come back home next week. Uh, We'll touch base on Phillies next week. We'll see what we got going on with the Sixers um, over the next few days. I don't know if we'll have a special guest on to talk about them or if we'll have a talk about the Sixers or if we'll wait till next week to talk about the Sixers. Um, Tonight they're in Dallas, 830, uh, if you're looking for uh, a good game to watch. Uh, I guess real quick before we go, I don't know if you, I, I know you did, but I don't know if anybody out there saw the video of the entire section in Minnesota of Philadelphia fans who waited two hours, I think, after the game for Robert Covington and, and Dario to come out. And they were louder than the entire Minnesota fan base all night for, for two guys who are no longer on the team, who are on the opposing team to cheer them on, to chant like all team defense to Rocco. Like I was getting chills watching that video. And then you see Minnesota fans booing Jimmy Butler when he's getting hurt. Man, you just, that stereotype needs to go away. All the players love playing here and you see how we have their backs. We just don't respect weak fans who are so childish as, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure Philly fans have booed a guy for getting hurt before, but this was one of their own that they were booing because he hurt himself when in his return back to Minnesota. So, I mean, it, it's just great to see the Philly fans doing things like that. And there was also a tweet out of Brandon Brooks who, who was backing up someone who had said, oh, Philly fans are so bad. Why does everybody want to play here? It's true. It's true. Like Bryce Harper came here to play here. People want to <laughs> I just think, you know, like I said a couple weeks back, I think we're getting ready to enter the Roaring Twenties, man. I think that this is a new time. It's a new time. And I think, you know, the Flyers are the the ones that have to get on board now. They have to go out and spend money and bring in some big free agent guys. I know it's a niche sport, but um, if they can go out and do that thing, that, that same thing, we are looking at legitimately like possibly the greatest run of, of Philadelphia sports in our, in not only our lifetime, but possibly ever. So that's little, then we get to live during that time. Like this is special. We really have the opportunity to witness something special. Dude, what a time to be alive. Justin, as always, thank you for everything you do for this podcast, getting us ready for tonight with some outline prep. Uh, we appreciate it as always. Great article. Make sure you go check it out on section two one five. I appreciate it, man. It's uh, it was an emotional weekend. I'm 
I'm just, I'm just, I'm like a little kid again. And it's, that's, that's more than, I think that that's just more than I could ever ask for right now. So, Hey, go cheer on the Phillies. That's all I got. Go cheer on the Phillies. Make sure you watched this week when they face the national Sixers tonight. Send requests. Play us out.